Coming up on the Jan Broberg Show. I I said, well, your your younger sister, she knows everything. She's seen it happen multiple times. She knows what's going on. And she said that she didn't know anything. And um, come to find out a few years later, she told me that he threatened to kill her if she said anything. Wow. So um, my sister made me apologize to him for spreading these rumors and kicked me out of her house, told me I was not allowed to come back. Hey, everybody, do you have your popcorn and are you sitting in your easy chair? Because I want to talk to you a little bit more about our upcoming podcast. On the show, we are not afraid to talk about the difficult conversations around child abuse and what we can do to make a change and how we can heal so we aren't living a life based in the past from our trauma, but we are thriving in the present. We want everyone to thrive. So we invite real everyday people to share their stories We talk with special guests and experts who can give us insights, tips, and advice. We also release bonus content for our Patreon subscribers in the form of roundtables where we discuss a current topic in the news. We laugh a lot, but we also get into some really deep conversations. This show is not for children, and there may be language to which some are sensitive. You can also find our bleeped episodes on our website, thejambrobergshow.com. Okay, so the other night, my family and I went out to dinner, and our waitress was Jennifer. Uh, She was really easy to talk to, really great uh, at her job, and we got to know each other a little and came to find out that she also has a story of grooming and abuse that lasted for roughly two years, but the perpetrator was her own nephew, who was actually around her age and whose parents thought that this boy was an angel, and yet he pushed all the boundaries bit by bit. Um, He made deals with her about, you know, um, sexual contact or touching. So when Jennifer finally, you know, started speaking out, and and, um, she said that immediately, you know, other people in her orbit, they started spreading these outrageous rumors about her that she was malicious or lying and that she liked to, you know, make stories up and stuff like that. So it spread around her school and no one, no one who actually believed her knew what to do about that. And she didn't know what to do about that. So it took her a long time before her father finally believed her, uh, like five years And so I'm going to urge our listeners to take Jennifer's story to heart because most everything that happened to her is exactly what sexual abuse looks like all over the world. So it has it all in this story from persuasion and, you know, boundary breaking to second guessing one's own experience and uh, the creation of self-doubt that happens and then finally trusting finally trusting your experience and standing up for yourself. I'm so grateful that I met Jennifer and that we get to hear her story. Jenny, it's so nice to have you in our studio. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited. Well, I hope so. We really want to have a great conversation with you, and we want you to know that you get to drive the bus for sure. of that conversation. So absolutely. Um, 
nothing's off limits. And certainly we empathize with what you've been through. And I was lucky enough to meet you at a yummy restaurant. And within just minutes, I could tell we were kindred spirits and we got to talk at that point. Chef Alfredo's, we loved that. (laughs) I was there to eat and you were so sweet. And then ran into you again at a different restaurant. Yes. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I really want to have you on the podcast. And you were so gracious to come on. I appreciate uh, it. I really... Really hope that you know that there's a lot of empathy that goes out for every single person that comes here. Oh, for sure. For sure. Kindred spirits, right? Oh, yes, <laughs> for sure. And like you said, everyone has a story. and I do. It's awesome. And, and not everyone's ready to talk about their story or their experience, but I right. really could feel that you were and that you had something to share that I know our listeners are going to get so much out of. So... What I'd like to do is just let you know, first and foremost, that I empathize. I really am sorry for the things you've had to go through. You're such a light, beautiful person that you would never suspect you had been through so much. And so I hope that you'll feel completely free to share what you want to share and just to take your experiences You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hopeful, the helpful, the happy, wherever you want to start, that's what we want. I want you to feel comfortable. So if you can just, you know, share with me what you would like to share about your experience and what you're able to share, I'm going to be a really good listener. Okay. Okay. I appreciate it. I've actually been thinking a lot about what I was wanting to say, um, just the past few days, and it's really hard because um, especially when you have something happen to you when you're so young, you don't understand it. And looking back at it when you're older, there's a lot of, oh my gosh, why did I do this? Why did I let this happen? Why did I not tell somebody? And um, you have to understand that when you come from a child's brain that doesn't understand that type of stuff, you really don't know what's appropriate to do. Um, So for me, my story with sexual abuse started when I was eight. Um, And again, didn't know anything about it, didn't know what what was going on. Um, So it was actually with a friend who was about my age. He had found a magazine from his dad in his side drawer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, curious little little kids, like we didn't know anything about each other's bodies, anything like that, and just kind of curious about things. And um, it got to a point where I was like, okay, we probably shouldn't be doing this anymore. And it wasn't anything like, like sex. We weren't having sex. We weren't doing mm-hmm. things like that. We were just curious about each other. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually I was like, yeah, we shouldn't be doing this anymore. And I um, told him I didn't want to do it. And he took me at recess and dragged me into the bushes by our school and um, kind of forced me to show him my body and showed me his and all that stuff. And it got to the point where I just kind of tried to avoid him. And I mean, at that point, I didn't realize that that was something that I was going to remember for 
the rest of my life, you know? Um, but yeah. And then I told a friend about it and my friend told my mom and she, um, kind of learned everything from there. My mom actually had me show her the things that had been done with my dolls because I didn't know how to explain it to her. And so, um, that family ended up moving away and I mean, I, I don't really blame him for anything because he didn't know better. He was eight years old as well. Um, and I'm actually still friends with his family and they're really awesome people. They've been through a lot as well. Um, mm. But yeah, so my next thing that happened to me was actually a few years later with my nephew. And um, Older, again, younger? He was about a year younger than I was and I was... 12 or 13 at the time. Um, I just started junior high and he was in, so I was in seventh grade and he was in sixth grade. And it kind of started out the same, just the innocent curiosity and um, eventually kind of developed into more. Um, I had times where he would lock me in a closet. Um, he would kind of force himself on me and um, kind of coerce me. Um, tell me he would give me things or do things for me if he if I allowed him to do things to me. One time I remember we were 13 or I was 13 or 14, he was 12 or 13 and I had just gotten my first iPod mm -hmm. and um, I wanted to play a game on it, but it cost money. And his mom had bought that game for him, so he told me he would log on to it on his mom's so that I could play the game if he allowed me to pull my pants down and let him just kind of, it was really weird because he never really like penetrated, but he would just kind of like lay on top of me. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was kind of weird. <laughs> well, you know, it's, just, it's okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're telling the truth of it. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times we feel um, that if there isn't some sort of violent penetration that mm -hmm. we shouldn't feel bad about it. And yeah. that's not true. Exactly. So, And that's, I think, what a lot of people want you to think about it too, is that, oh, your experience isn't as valid as somebody else's because it wasn't forceful, it wasn't, and it doesn't change the mentality that it puts you in. It doesn't change the things that it does to you for the rest of your life. Yeah, how it affects you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that happened and we we're at our cabin when it happened and we heard someone climbing up the ladder to come upstairs. So he quickly like got off of me and all that. And I pulled my pants back up and everything. And we were like, oh, we're just playing this game. So um, he did a lot of things um, like that to kind of just coerce me. And um, I remember one evening I was sleeping over at their house and um, I'd fallen asleep and he woke me up and he was like, hey, I want to tell you something. Can we go to the other room and we can talk? I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So we went into his bedroom and we were just kind of talking for a little bit. And then he was like, because um, I was really innocent at that point and I didn't understand the meaning of like a lot of words that he he did. And so he'd be like, oh, I'll tell you what this means if you do this for me or I'll tell you what this means if we can do this. And um, 
So that evening, he taught me a lot of new words, but I also had him pulling my pants down, him pulling his pants down and just like putting himself up against me and things like that. Um, And so about six months after that, so it went on for about two years with him. Um, I kind of told my mom about what was going on. And um, my mom was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even know what to do in this situation because she had been babysitting him since he was like two years old. You know, he was at my house every single day. And um, I told my mom, I said, I just kind of need you to protect me. I said, I don't want you to tell his mom what's going on. I don't want you to tell anyone else what's going on. I just want you to be there to make sure that things aren't happening. And when you're 14. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, I can, I can do that. Um, my sister very much was the person who um, thought her child was an angel and could never do anything wrong. And so a few months later, I told one of my best friends about what had been going on. And she ended up living across the street from him. And she confronted him. And uh, then his younger sister told his mom that I was spreading rumors around my school that he was raping me. So um, I... I got a call. I remember I was sitting in the doctor's office waiting to get my flu shot. And my dad got a call from my sister and just said, hey, um, so Jenny is apparently spreading rumors around that my my nephew was raping me. And um, my dad, of course, was appalled because he had no knowledge of this because I had asked my mom to kind of not say anything. And he um, was very, he was pretty angry about it. And so at the time, my mom owned a grocery store and we went to the store and we were like, okay, kind of talking about it. My mom told him everything that had been going on that she knew about. And I told my dad what had been going on. And he told me how tough of a spot I had put him in. That I was making him choose between my two siblings or between his two, two daughters. And so um, we went over to my sister's house and I kind of told her everything that had happened. And um, he told her basically that I was lying. And um, I he said... meaning your dad or, or her son? Her son, my nephew. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I said, well, your, your younger sister, she knows... Everything, she's seen it happen multiple times. She knows what's going on. And she said that she didn't know anything. And um, come to find out a few years later, she told me that he threatened to kill her if she said anything. Wow. So um, my sister made me apologize to him for spreading these rumors and kicked me out of her house, told me I was not allowed to come back. And um, they eventually went to another person's house to go after school every single day. And I I never really thought that my dad ever believed me that it had happened. 
And um, then when I was 18, um, I had just moved back from Michigan. I went out there and finished high school. And um, he went out there and finished his last year of high school right after I got back from Michigan. And um, my other niece... So you went to Michigan to finish high school because... Um, so I had a encounter with a neighbor as well. Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew there were several. But, yeah. Okay. So you went to Michigan to finish mm-hmm. high school and then this same nephew followed yes. suit and went to Michigan to finish high school and you yes. were still there. No, this was about a um, couple months after I came back. Okay. So, and he was living with, um, another one of my sisters, his aunt. And so, um, her daughter texted me and was like, hey, what happened with him? Like, I need to know what happened. And I was like, well, I'm not going to have a conversation with you about it. I'm not going to talk about this because it's gotten me in so much trouble in the past. And um, and I said, and you're probably just him trying to get me in more trouble, trying to get me to talk about it. That's probably what's going on here. And she was like, no, it's really me. Something happened and I, I need to know what happened with you guys. So I kind of told her and um, she at the time was 14 and he was two weeks away from turning 18. And um, she told me that they were laying down and he was like laying on her back and she, he thought that she was asleep and he reached over and just kind of groped her butt. And um, she told me that she was terrified and she was shaking and she didn't want to live with him anymore, didn't want to be around him anymore. And so I said, just stay in your room, keep the door locked. And as soon as your mom gets home, you need to tell your mom exactly what happened. And knowing the history of my family where he's the angel who, cause, who can't do anything wrong, um, I figured she probably wouldn't want to say anything. So I messaged her mom. And I said, you need to know that this is going on in your house. And I said, she didn't really want me to tell you, and I'm not sure if she's going to tell you, but I, we need to keep her safe from this, and you need to be aware that this is happening. Mm. So at that point, I told my dad what was going on, and I was just in tears when I told him. And I think at that point is when he finally believed me that something had happened. But... It was heartbreaking to me that it took four or five years before he finally believed me. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. So he um, he was never really the person to really show emotion. So I couldn't really tell like how he felt. Um, but yeah, it was it was rough. <laughs> yeah. So, but then, um, so you have apparently several older siblings. Yes, two I, sisters we've heard about now. Yes, so I'm number nine of eleven siblings. Wow. Yes. So my oldest sibling is the one who I lived with in Michigan. Okay. And um, I think it's, I think she is the third oldest. Is my nephew's mother? Okay. Um, but yeah. So nine siblings, you're number seven. I'm number nine. You're number nine. And I have 11. 
of 11. Yes. Oh, my word. Yes. I just transplanted that whole thing. You're kidding. That's not possible. (laughs) Yeah. No, we have a very blended family. So my dad was married prior, and so was my mom, and they both had four kids. Okay. And they got married and had me, and then adopted two more. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a big family. Oh, yes. Well, and, you know, not to, to make it turn your story into some sort of statistic, but the reality is, is that... You know, four out of 10 children are sexually assaulted by someone they know, someone they usually love and trust, Mm -hmm. and before the age of 18. Your story here fits that perfectly, Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry to say. And then the idea that you were not believed and you had to wait until there was another victim in your family that was that was victimized Mm -hmm. is heartbreaking. Yeah. I really empathize with all of that. What else can you tell me about that? Well, and even to this day, um, my sister doesn't talk to me anymore. Mm. Um, She does things that are more so expected as a family member. Um, She came to my wedding. I went to her wedding. and I've tried having conversations with her. I've tried to rebuild that relationship because we did have a, a pretty good relationship prior to this happening. And um, she just has, seems to have no interest in having a relationship with me. So, I mean, I, I guess to some degree, I can understand her point of view of she hurt my child. But... You have to kind of look at it from everyone else's perspective as well, or even just my perspective of something happened and your child is not this perfect angel that you believe him to be. So, And that's rough on a parent. I'm Mm -hmm. positive of that when you know that, whatever that piece is. What's happened to him? So he actually... As far as you know... Yeah, so he got into um, some pretty hard drugs, and that's actually the reason reason why he went to Michigan to finish out his high school career. Um, and he came back home after he graduated, and I believe he lived in California with a girlfriend for a while, and then he move, moved back to Utah. Um, he actually is currently dating one of my friends from junior high. And um, I didn't really want to start anything. You know, if he really has changed and he is a better person, then I, he has every right to be happy. And I mean, he's made mistakes. Everyone has. Um, But if he is really a different person, then I want him to be happy. And I want him to have that opportunity to be happy. It's not my responsibility to try to ruin his life. Well, you're a remarkable person for saying it like that, that you you have to know that you're probably in the minority of people that um, has been able to somehow let go. And I know there's more, and I want to hear the rest mm-hmm. of your story as well. But it's interesting how not really knowing, we all basically have, I think, someone in our lives that we might suspect or that we know I mean, you know firsthand, Mm -hmm. but he also was a child or a young person throughout these 
incidents that you were a part of and then your cousin, Mm -hmm. no. My niece. Your niece would have been a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big family spread. I was like, okay, wait, how does somebody, oh yeah, if you have have 11 11 in your family, siblings. Oh yes. (laughs) There's a spread. Oh yeah. (laughs) Of time. Um, Could you speak a little bit about that, about how you, was there a process in letting go? Oh yeah. So it's been almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years this November since his mom found out about everything that happened. Oh. And um, there was a lot of, um, I guess, victim shaming um, when it first started that I was a liar and I just wanted the attention. And um, so kind of trying to save some relationship with my family I kind of tried to see things from their perspective, like, okay, um, maybe this is just how I perceived it happening and it didn't actually happen this way. Or maybe his intentions weren't for it to be this way. Um, And it was a lot of trying to convince myself that what I had experienced wasn't my experience. Um, Eventually, I got to the point where I I said, this is my experience. This is what I went through. And you don't get to invalidate that. Um, and there was a lot of time where, and even now, I still get a lot of anger mm. because everyone still sees him as this perfect angel. And he still has this great relationship with that whole side of my family that I don't have anymore because of him. Um, And so I I definitely deal with a lot of anger. But what I've kind of come to realize is that that anger affects me more than it affects anyone else. And so um, whenever I feel that way, I call my mom and I have a conversation with her and talk to her for like an hour And then that's all I let it have. And then I say, okay, this happened. And the people who are important in my life believe me. And that's what matters. So, and even my current husband, we went to a family function. And he kind of knew of the story, but he didn't know who my nephew was. And he was like, that guy really gives me some bad vibes. I said, yeah, that's the nephew who raped me for two years or molested me or sexually assaulted me or what have you. And um, he was like, wow, okay, yeah, I can, I can see that from him. Wow. So, so his radar was pretty in tune, mm-hmm. his, his feelings. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of times it certainly isn't for the others, but from somebody coming into the family, yeah. I find that really interesting. Yeah. That he had a, you know, goosebumpy, whatever kind of feeling. Right. Because so many times, which is understandable, but it's also something to be aware of, mm-hmm. is that our gut feeling really is right, yeah. but we push it aside. Yeah. And I call that a first thought and a secondary thought. The first thought is something's off. Mm-hmm. The second thought is, that's impossible. It's my child, or it's my right. nephew, or it's my, you know, for your father, it was, you know, his grandson. Yeah, exactly. And so you're, you, you, you can't live with the, the thing, so you just 
dismiss it, push it aside, don't give it any light, any mm-hmm. life. But in the meantime, the person who's been harmed is living with that and trying to change their narrative and trying to fit in their family and trying not to lose the other members of their family. And I think it's such a complicated issue when it's in the family. Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, you know, that's where I really admire your strength. Um, Can you speak a little more about nothing, not, not ever, even with your other cousin, you know, a couple years later, when you find out mm-hmm. nothing ever happened. He never went to a, a counselor or a juvenile court as far as you know. I mean, nothing came of it. How did that family, how did that sister and that niece and that part of your family, yes, your dad now believed you that was a, a good outcome, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it wasn't complete. Yeah. Tell me about, a little more about that and how that affected you. Well, it's still, it, again, it still makes me kind of angry because he never had any consequences of what happened. He just got away with it. And um, I think a lot about, oh, maybe I could go now and just kind of, this is what happened. If there's anything that can be done about it, then let's do it. But then there's also the thought of, you know, that was 10 years ago and we were both children. Um, So, yeah, I wish that not necessarily that he would have had consequences that would ruin his life, but just consequences to teach him that that was extremely inappropriate and um, not okay. And harmful. Yeah, yeah. And there were even situations where, you know, he was a boy, so he could go to the bathroom standing up in the backyard, right? And um, we would get caught going to the bathroom in the backyard, right? And um, we would all get in a lot of trouble for it because that's not what you do. <laughs> yeah. And um, even when we had those situations, it would make me mad because he would be in trouble while he was at my mom's house. But then as soon as he went home, it was okay. And... Um, so that's kind of something that always angered me as well, that he never had those consequences to really teach him that that's inappropriate and harmful and not something you do to a person. Right. Do you ever worry about other... I mean, I always think, you know, if something is stimulated in somebody that starts on that path, even as a kid, I think we have some normal, natural feelings of... Oh, I think that isn't right. I mean, you know, or, right. oh, that feels funny. I think maybe we shouldn't do that. Like yeah. what you were doing in yeah. the in the previous mm-hmm. abuse situation, right? right? Before the, you know, before your nephew, you were feeling some of those things. Right. Do you wonder, I mean, I wonder, I don't know if you do, but what about now? You know, you don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, was it just... Like you explained it, curious and explorational and all those things. But then it seemed to graduate to something a little more um, mature than that, a little yeah. more grown up, a little more violent. Yeah. Um, and that to me makes me wonder, what about, could there be other children that are still in harm's way? Was it specific you know, to you as a child mm-hmm. or was it just specific to... I'm going to now graduate to 
you know, getting married and and having my own family. And I'm done with that. I was just, I don't know, overly sexualized (laughs) myself and why and how. It makes me always wonder all the questions around it. Yeah. And it very much, um, it worries me because I have, so I have 22 nieces and nephews. Wow. And, and you're how old? <laughs> you don't have to say. No, you're good. I'm 24. Okay. Um, I was going to say, you're, you look very young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My oldest niece is actually a year older than me. Oh, wow. So, wow. But, so they, I have um, nieces and nephews ranging from like six months old to 25. Okay. And um, even growing up, my mom and I would have conversations about, I wonder if he's done this to my other nieces. I wonder if he's done this to other people. Um. And it, it does worry me because I, I really do honestly, truly hope that he has changed and realized and gotten the help that he needs to make sure that this isn't something that happens again. But if he hasn't, it really worries me for the people that he surrounds himself with and those who surround themselves around him. Um, because like I said, I do have so many young children in my family. So... It's like, okay. Opportunity is right there. Exactly. What would be some things that might bristle somebody's, you know, hair on the back of their neck or give them that little, I call it a blue sound wave through the gut. Like I had this little blue sound wave. What would, what might somebody that looks at their family members and says they're all wonderful and angels and perfect and Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong here. What, what might, someone watch out for and go, oh, wait, I better watch. I better actually really listen intently Mm -hmm. to my 10-year-old, my 8-year-old, my 12-year-old, my 14-year-old, because something they said or some way that they acted or he or she acted with my child, even though it's a family member, instead of dismissing it, thought number two, what might be some of those things? Do you have any ideas? I think that I think that the biggest thing to kind of watch for, um, especially from like a a victim standpoint, is just a change in behavior. If your child is acting more um, secretive, maybe or more shy around you, doesn't really want to talk to you about the same things that they used to talk to you about. Mm. Um, as far as um, I can't think of the word. The person who's actually... The perpetrator? Perpetrator, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As far as um, looking for the perpetrator, I think it's um, just kind of more of an obsessive behavior. Watch out for that. And sometimes, like in your case, it can be very subtle. And um, I think just kind of paying attention to that and realizing that it, it can happen even if it's family. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make anybody immune, right? Um, like I keep having that image of whoever was climbing up that ladder to the loft or wherever you were, right. and was it a was it a cousin, another niece or nephew? Was it a parent, somebody, and catching you, not in the full. I mean, you're trying to scramble, but you don't have very long very long to scramble, right? If that person suspected something. That would have been good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think they did? Well, it was his younger sister. Okay. Who he had threatened if she said anything. Oh. So she was aware of the situation as well. But mm. 
And I believe that she was only nine or 10 at the time. So she was really young. Wow. So what advice would you give a nine or 10 year old if they're listening? <laughs> um, just be open. If someone tells you not to tell somebody, that's kind of a sign you need to tell somebody. Secrets are not good. And if you have someone, especially someone older than you or somebody who is trying to get you to do things that you shouldn't be doing, telling you to keep it a secret, then that's not okay. And you need to tell somebody. You need to tell a parent or somebody who can um, help in the situation. What would you say to yourself five years from now, looking back on what your experience was, what would be something that you would hope that you would have achieved or have learned looking at Jenny five years from now? Well, um, I currently am going to nursing school. Nice. And um, hope in five years to have a family of my own. And um, I think the biggest thing that even now I say to myself to push through is just to um, to just allow myself to feel my feelings and be okay with where I'm at and learn that every day is progress and every day you make it through, you're stronger than you were the day before. And um, especially when I look back at, because you know the story with my nephew that was 10 years ago, but I'm in a better place with it now than I was a year ago. And so progress takes time mm -hmm. and that's okay. So what would you want Jenny five years from now to say to Jenny today? Um, especially since I'm working on all these goals, just we made it. <laughs> we did it. Good job. <laughs> yep. It, we you'll get it. there. <laughs> yeah. well, that's beautiful. I often so. think of myself um, talking to my inner child all the time because I do it constantly. Yeah. And I'm sure people think I have a split personality, but I'm like, <laughs> oh no, I'm just putting my hand right there on my heart because I'm trying to calm my inner child yeah. from being scared or yeah. mad or throwing a tantrum or, yeah. you know, whatever. And But that's a real true thing. Mm -hmm. And you as a mature adult, Jenny, you know, you've already expressed all of the things that you've you know, learned and the progress you've made in just the last year. It's been a 10-year journey mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's always good to look to the future because then it can help you get through a really hard day in the present. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? And I do that all the time for sure. <laughs> oh, I think that's wonderful. I really do. <laughs> Let's take a break and talk about one of our sponsors. Hey, everybody. I have the most exciting news, and I am so sincerely grateful to be able to say that the Jan Broberg story uh, is going live. You can purchase the book on Amazon or go to our website, uh, jambrobergfoundation.org, and hear more about it. But my mother and I have worked so hard on bringing this edition of our story to fruition in a fullness in my mother's voice, which is so strong for all the parents out there, for the survivors, the thrivers, anybody is going to relate 
to our story and learn something from it that will help you in your life, in your journey with preventing this kind of child abuse. And we are so excited about it. It's so good. And I hope that you will help us by driving this message forward by ordering your book as soon as possible this week, if you can, get on those pre-sales. That really helps us. So jambrobergfoundation.org or directly at Amazon. There's also an audio version, which I voiced, which was very emotional. I had to stop a few times and have a good cry, but it's, it's done and it's really exciting to have this full story in our hands, ready to share with the world. And you're the first to know. Please support us. And thank you so much for all the years of support and for caring so much about the message that we are trying to get out to the whole world. Thanks. So tell me a little more. I don't want to go back to the dark side, but but go. let's do. Let's go back and tell me a little bit about the other assault that you started to mention, and then we mm-hmm. wanted to finish the family story because so many people will relate. Yeah. You don't know how many people you're helping by sharing your story because they're in the same situation you are. Oh, they're not being believed. It's another beloved family member. What do you do? How do you yeah. start? Do you burn it all down? Yeah. Do you let it go and hope that they've changed? You've mm-hmm. brought up a lot of things, questions and answers mm-hmm. that people are going to really really, I think, resonate with. Mm. So let's go back. Whatever you can tell me about that other experience, whatever you're able to tell me, I'd really like to hear it. Yeah, for sure. So um, this one happened when I was 15, so about a year after everything ended with my nephew. And I was um, playing the piano in church that day, and I didn't want to carry my book around with me all day. And so I went home and took my book, back to my house and we only lived three houses down from the church. So it wasn't a huge long thing. And, um, my neighbor was outside and I've lived across from this neighbor for my entire life. You know, we, he would come over, we would talk and he would talk to my parents. I wouldn't say that he was ever really like a family friend. Like we never did anything like family dinners or anything like that with him, but he was someone that was trusted. Mm-hmm. Known. Yeah, exactly. So you thought. Yeah. And so about six months prior to this happening, um, he asked me if I had a boyfriend, if I'd had my first kiss, anything like that. And I was like, oh, that's just him wanting to know because he wants to be a part of my life, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, no, I haven't had my first kiss. And I do have a boyfriend, but I haven't had my first kiss yet. And he was like, oh, well, maybe I can, I can give you your first kiss someday. Maybe I can, I can let you practice. I was like, uh, uh, okay. (laughs) You know, and he asked for my phone number and I was like, I'm actually grounded from my phone. I don't have my phone. And, you know, just anything I can say to kind of get out of the situation. How old was this person? He is, or was at the time, 75. 75 years old. Mm -hmm. Yep. 75 years old, you're 15. Yep. You've lived across the street from this person your whole life. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so I, it was winter time, and we kind of just kept to ourselves during the winter. We didn't really see him very much because... Most of our interactions happened outside. I never really went in his house. He never really went in mine. Um, So I didn't really see him during the winter. Um, So 
This was in July when this happened, so it was in summer, and I was walking home. He was outside, and he came over and just was talking to me, and he was like, yeah, we're doing really well. Um, my mom had just gotten a new car a few months prior, and he was peeking in the windows of the car, and he was like, oh, this is a really nice car. Did your mom just get this? And I was like, yeah, she got it a few months ago. You know, we're pretty excited about it and all that stuff. And uh, we just got talking, and he asked me um, how church was that day and um, if I had been playing in church, and that's why I had my piano book and, you know, just casual things. And then he asked me, he said, have you had your first kiss yet? And I said, "Um, yeah, I did. And he goes, darn, I guess I missed it. I was like, "Uh, what? Okay. (laughs) That's kind of weird. And I was like, you know, didn't think anything of it. I was like, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but I've known this man my whole life, you know. And um, so I was like, okay. And he was like, well, what if I gave you a kiss? And I was like, well, that might be kind of weird. And he kind of ignored me and he got a little closer to me and he goes, he points across the street and he says, because this guy is not home. He's at church. This guy's at church and this guy can't see anything and pointed at my next door neighbor. And I was like, haha, yeah, probably shouldn't though, you know? <laughs> and um, so he was like, yeah, you're right. We probably shouldn't. And then he um, started to walk back across the street. And I was like, well, I guess I better get back to church. And so I started to walk up to my doorstep. And I turned around and noticed that he hadn't gone all the way back to his house. He So my parents had the van and then parked next to it was grass. And then they had another car parked next to it on the other side. And he came up between the two cars and stood next to the garage And he was like, Jenny, come here for a second. I got to tell you something. And I was like, oh gosh. (laughs) And I I don't know what it was, but I just had this feeling that if I didn't go over there, he was going to follow me into the house. And so I did. I went over there and I was like, all right, this man told me that he's going to tell me something. So that's what he's going to do. That's what I'm going to make him do. I'm not going to allow him to do anything else. So he kind of bent down and kind of squatted down between the cars and I squatted down next to him and I put my ear to his face because he said he was going to tell me something and I wasn't going to let him do any different. And he grabbed my face and pulled me towards him and started kissing me. And I was in shock and I was like, what the heck is happening, you know? And he was like, open your mouth. And I was like, I said, no. I said, I really got to get back to church. Like, I, I can't do this. I, I have to go. And he very forcefully again told me to open my mouth. And the way that he said that scared me. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I better do what he says, you know? So I did. And he started kissing me again and he shoved his tongue in my mouth and I bit his tongue. And it was more reactionary than anything. Um, it wasn't something I thought about doing. It was like um, like when you taste something gross and you kind of pull away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
more so of what it was. And so I bit his tongue and I kind of pushed away from him. And he patted me on my shoulder and he said, okay, I better let you get back to church. And I was like, okay. Wow. (laughs) So I went in the house and I locked the doors and I watched him go across the street and I just stayed at my front door and watched out the little peephole to make sure that he stayed across the street. Um, And I called my friend who hadn't gone to church that day and told her what happened. And I was like, I don't know what to do. She said, well, you need to call someone and tell them. But I didn't want to call my mom because I thought that she was going to be very angry with me because she, she had this feeling when I left church and she was like, well, I don't really want you to go, but I guess you can. You know, she just tried to get me to stay. And um, I was like, no, I'll just be a few minutes. I'll be fine. I'll bring the keys back to you as soon as I get back. And it had been about 20 minutes. And like I said, we only lived three houses down. It shouldn't have taken that long. So she started to have a bit of a weird feeling that something was going on. So I called my sister and um, I guess she hadn't gone to church that day for whatever reason. And she immediately rushed over to the house. It took her about 10, 15 minutes to get there. And my brother came with her, her husband, and um, stayed outside and just basically stood guard. And my sister ran into the church in her pajamas and went and got my mom. And um, she was so out of breath. And all she could say was Jenny. And my mom immediately started sobbing because she knew something had happened. And so my mom is running through the halls of the church, just screaming my name. And she runs down the street and she comes in the house and she asked me what happened. And I told her and she just started sobbing. And my dad had been away at our cabin. And so he came home and um, within like five, 10 minutes of that, and we called the police. And my mom or my brother was standing outside and told my dad what had happened. And all I remember was just being terrified of my dad. And he was going to be so angry at me. And how could I be so stupid when my mom had told me not to do this. My mom had told me not to go home. She warned me. And um, my dad, all I remember is him coming in the house and it's, it's weird because the motion of him coming in the house was almost not human. It, was a, it wasn't a human motion of how I remember it. But he just ran in so quickly and came over me and was like, what happened? You need to tell me what happened. We need to get the police over here. Like, what's going on? And I just remember being absolutely terrified of him. And um, it took the police almost 45 minutes before they finally came. Hmm. And um, he had left the house. Um, Just before my sister got there, he had left. And my dad went over with my brother and knocked on his door and... Um, my dad said that he was very lucky that he wasn't home. (laughs) Um, and I, the police got there and they essentially just told him to stay away from us. Don't go across the street. Don't try to not talk to them anymore. Don't go knocking on their door. Just leave them alone. And they told us that they couldn't file a a police report because it was Sunday and their computers were down. What? Yeah. It's like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I was just assaulted by this man. I am 15. He is 75. 
and you can't do anything about it because your computer is down. Oh my gosh. And so they went across the street and they talked to him and he admitted it. He told them everything. And our the stories matched up. Told him everything that had happened and his wife came home from church and she was just standing there with her arms crossed like what did you do? <laughs> and um so he went to your church. You knew him from church as well as being a neighbor. He actually wasn't part of our church, okay. but his wife was. But his wife was. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but um yeah. So what they, did she did was there any reaction beyond that? He told the police that he didn't think it was something inappropriate because he had done it to his grandchildren and that's how he greeted his grandchildren. Ugh. And the police basically were like that's disgusting. <laughs> that is not appropriate at all and basically just told him don't do it again. Stay away from him. Leave him alone. And um, so after the police left and everything, um, my mom had the front door open and just had the storm door closed. And she just had this feeling that she needed to go lock the door. And so she went over and she locked the door and she saw him walking across the street. And he came and my mom was hiding in the kitchen and he was ringing the doorbell and banging on the door. And I was upstairs in my room and I had my music playing really loud so I didn't hear it. And my mom said she was very grateful that I didn't hear it because she knew I would have come running down the stairs to see who's at the door. Um, So my mom said he did that for about 10 minutes and then he gave up and went back across the street. And my mom called the police again. And um, it was a different officer that came out this time. And they said, well, they didn't really file any report And the officer who was here before is off duty. So I don't know what he told him, but I can just tell him again to leave you alone. And that's all they did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So a little bit later, um, my mom kind of got in contact with the chief of police. And um, I am not sure everything that she did, but she filed some stuff with them and got in contact with them. And yeah, so she got this law passed that um, basically any assaults of a child under 18 um, and you were arrested immediately. Um, it's not something that we kind of tiptoed around. You you were arrested. It's great. So um, she, a year later is when she sent me to Michigan. Um, in that year, we had tried selling the house um, he, we got a restraining order against him and he'd followed me to work a couple times. He'd followed me to school a couple times, but he never interacted with me. Mm. I would just kind of see him across the hall. So my mom, um, switched schools so that he didn't know where I was, didn't know what school I was at. And, um, that school year ended and my sister made a comment to me that I could come live with her. And um, my mom was like, uh, I don't really know. She's she's only six. I was 16 at that point. She's like, she's only 16 years old. Like, I don't really want to send my baby across the country. And um, so she prayed about it. And about a month later, I went to Michigan. Wow. And I was there for two years. Um. This sister that I lived with 
was um, also on my my dad's side of the family, so he was really close, or so she was really close with um, my sister, whose nephew had had issues with in the past. Wow. And um, I had gotten suspended from school for um, some sexual activity during class, and. Um, my sister and I were talking and this was about six months before I graduated. So I'd been there with her for about a year and a half at this point. And, um, we just kind of had a conversation about everything that had happened to me. And I told her about my nephew and she was like, Oh, I heard about that, but I was told that you were lying essentially. And it's like, Nope, this is what happened. And, I mean, my story's been the same as it has from day one, 10 years later. It's still the same story. And um, I'm not sure if she ever really believed me, Mm. but I think that she could kind of see that at least with the guy across the street from me, that that was real. Um, Did she make the connection between whatever was happening? You said sexual activity in mm -hmm. school in the classroom, mm-hmm. something? Did she connect the dots? Um, did you? I did. 100% I did. Because um, she got a call from the school. They told her that um, I was being suspended. And um, she was like, well, you're going to have to call your mom and tell her because I'm not telling her. I was like, it's not going to be the first sexual experience that I've had to tell my mom about. And she was like, What? I was like, well, yeah, I've been abused since I was eight. And she was like, oh, I mean, well, I, I'd, heard it, I'd heard this, but I didn't know that it was, like, real. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, yep, that's what I've been dealing with since I was eight years old. And we kind of talked during um, my suspension. I would stay home, and she was home, and we'd kind of talk about things that had happened. And... um. I don't really remember much coming of that conversation other than me just talking about it and her just saying, hmm, okay. So I don't, I don't really know her thoughts on it or mm. anything, but um, I do know about two months later, I was about six months away from graduating high school, and I got a call from my mom. She said, you guys are coming down for Christmas. If you can stay two extra days, you can testify in court for the guy across the street and we can put him in jail. Wow. And I obviously was like, yes, you know, I definitely want want to testify. I want to put him away for this, you know. And um, I, I would have had to stay two extra days for Christmas vacation, which is how long the drive from Utah to Michigan is anyway. So I would have flown back and gotten there the exact same day that they did. My sister told me that if I were to stay and testify for those two days, then I could not come back to Michigan and finish high school. So um, my nephew, um, her son, then texted me and um, he told me that I should just stay because nobody wanted me there anyway. And... um, I had just turned 18 at this point, and I was like, I just got six more months. I just got to finish high school, you know? And um, 
it was really hurtful to me. He told me that um, how terrible I was for putting an innocent man in jail. And, um, and, and such was his nature. He was just not a nice kid. And he, he's, he's a great man now. He's had his, some life changes that he's really become a great man. But he was very cruel in high school. And um, I texted my sister and told him that he'd said this to me. And she just said, well, he's entitled to his opinion. Wow. And um, I had a couple teachers that knew my nephew as well. And um, I, he came up to me because I was crying in class and he asked me if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm just dealing with some stuff with my nephew. And he goes, okay, I get it. Wow. And he said, if I needed to go out in the hall, if I needed anything, if I just needed a break, that I was welcome to take it. Um, so that was very, very hurtful to me. And um, there was also, also this thing that came out um, with, I don't know if you know who Kesha is, the singer. Yes. Um, she had some issues with her um, producer or something that she had a contract with and he was sexually abusing her. Mm-hmm. And um, I was very much so an advocate for her not being in that situation that even though it was a legally binding contract that this was a situation where it should be overturned. Right. And um, we were having a conversation about it one night at dinner. And um, my nephew told me, he's like, why? Because you went through that? And I said, yeah, I did. And he said... No, you didn't. And I was like, well, how, how do you know? You weren't there. And me and you never really had a relationship until like two years ago. You don't know me. And he just was very adamant that this had never happened to me and that I was lying and just trying to put an innocent man in jail. Um, so my mom actually ended up testifying for me in my behalf as much as she could and he was put in jail for two weeks and had to pay a fine. And to this day, he still lives across the street from my parents. <sighs> so every time I go visit him, or every time I go visit my parents, he's there. And he knows when I'm home. And he cracks his windows on his house so that he can hear our conversations. And he turns his lights off. He doesn't have lights on at night but we have our front lights on so he can see what's going on. And he's always outside when I am. And he has gotten to the point where he has started talking to my younger sister. And she is almost 14. Two years younger, or a year younger than I was when it happened to me. And so... What are your parents doing? Um, they tell her not to talk to him to leave him alone anytime that they catch him across the street, which has only happened once or twice that they've caught him. They kind of call the police and let him know, like, hey, he's been across the street. He's kind of been around again. But um, I told my younger sister what happened. My mom didn't want her to know because didn't want to scar her, didn't want to make her afraid. But just telling her to stay away from him wasn't enough. And she was still trying to interact with him. And so I told her what, what happened exactly. And I said, you need to stay away from this man. 
Good for you. I, I look at you and think, my world, my word, you have all the strength of someone so much older than you in the many things that you've had to endure mm-hmm. to muddle your way through without support from some key people in your life. Mm-hmm. How would you help somebody listening know that even if the immediate family or the immediate people around you don't believe you, that you're still valid, you're still, somebody will believe you. Somewhere, some way, you know the truth. Yeah. It happened to you. Yeah. What, what would your advice be to someone that doesn't have support? I mean, you've had support at different times, kind of later, but not like in the moment. Right. You know, it takes a lot for someone that's been victimized to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. And then to not be believed is just horrible. It's like mm-hmm. re-traumatizing oh, yeah. the person all over again. Because now not only did it happen, but now the person that you've trusted and trusted to tell your truth to doesn't believe you. Yeah. What's the advice? How do we give a takeaway as we come to the end of our discussion here today? My biggest thing all growing up and dealing with my entire family not believing me and just everything in that nature was that God knew. Just because my family didn't believe me, God knew. And he knew what these people had done to me. And I very much believe in a judgment day. And when that day comes, and um, that was one thing that really helped me with um, getting through things with my nephew, was one day he's going to have to look God in the eyes and tell him, yes, I did this or no, I didn't. And... God will be able to say, I watched. I know what happened. And that's what he gets to deal with. And your family will all know too. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's, even, even now, when I deal with all the anger and everything from it, that's the one thing that gets me through is that someday they will know. And then... And this is this almost seems selfish, but that I cannot wait for that apology when they finally realize what happened. There is something so cleansing about an apology, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, if we could be so much quicker to apologize, to say we're sorry, to say anything that affirms and confirms what we now know to be true that maybe we didn't believe then, but literally to believe each other, Mm -hmm. to find people that you can truly talk to that believe you. Mm -hmm. Such a gift. Yeah. Giving the gift of believing someone else because I'm sure this has already happened, but because of your experiences, you're going to be a magnet for others who have had experiences. They'll talk to you. Yeah, 100%. Because... There's a safety there. There's at least somebody that understands what I'm feeling and they're not going to 
not believe me because mm-hmm. they've been through that. So if we could give that gift, which you're doing, mm-hmm. that's an amazing thing to leave yeah. with. For sure. So you're married. I am, yes. What are you going to do with the rest of your day today after giving us all of this really incredible story and wisdom and just so many wonderful things. Thank you so much, Jenny. Of course. I want you to tell me what's going to happen for the rest of your day so you don't leave here totally re-traumatized. No, you're <laughs> totally been through fine. so much. <laughs> you're just amazing at 24. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Yeah, so I was actually considering um, possibly going and getting a tattoo done today. Oh. Um, my grandma passed away back in 2019. Okay. And... She definitely was someone who meant a huge, huge deal to me. And um, I was going to go get a memorial tattoo for her done today. Oh, that's so, amazing. Yes. That's fantastic. So. I want to see it if it's in a place I can see. Yes. <laughs> I won't ask for anything inappropriate, but <laughs> yeah, I wonder when I get yeah. to see you again. I hope that you get to do that today. For sure. That would be Fantastic. Did she was she a believer? Was she someone you could talk to and she mm-hmm. knew you were telling the truth? Oh yeah. No wonder she was so important to you. Yeah. Thank you, Grandma. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. And even even beyond the grave, she still is she still finds her little ways to little let god me know wink here and there from grandma. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yep. Oh, that's so, beautiful. Yeah. So Well, you're just lovely to come on the show to do this for us today and to help others in in the way that our stories really do help mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. because somebody's not as strong as you or maybe not yet right. or they're considering telling but they don't know where to go. Right. It's really it's really a gift to tell your story. Thank you so much. Of course, and thank you so much for allowing me to tell you my bet. story. You've made me emotional. <laughs> You're lovely. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, go get that tattoo. Okay. <laughs> That's it for today's episode of The Jam Broberg Show. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you know anyone who would benefit from hearing our show, it would mean the world to me if you wouldn't mind sharing one of our episodes with them. If you believe in what we are doing here on the show and would be interested in becoming a patron, head over to our website at thejambrobergshow.com slash Patreon. It takes a lot to put on a show like this, and your support would be deeply appreciated. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at thejambrobergshow and my personal account at Broberg. J-A-N-I-B-R-O-B-E-R-G. And by signing up for our newsletter over at www.thejambrobergfoundation.org. We are doing everything we can to help survivors of child abuse and their families heal and get access to resources so they can all reclaim their happy childhood. All of this can be found in our show notes. Thank you so much, everyone. This is Mama Jan signing off. Over and out on two. Bye-bye.